This CKNW podcast for AIM Medical Imaging, home of AIM Medical Imaging full body MRI scanning. A family history of medical issues is nothing to ignore. Book a preventative screening at aimmedicalimaging.com. This week, I had the loveliest English widow patient. She was about 68, 70 years old. She presented with leakage of urine and recurrent urinary tract infections due to the condition that affects 75% of postmenopausal women, vaginal atrophy. I left the room to test her urine sample and I gave her a pamphlet about vaginal atrophy. And when I returned, she was laughing and she said to me, your pamphlet says that I need to be sexually active to help with this condition. She laughed hysterically when I said, well, your first step in becoming sexually active is to listen to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Anyway, this is the show where we discuss and educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. I am Maureen McGrath. I am your host. Of course, we do practice safe sex on this show, so be sure you put the kiddies to bed, unless, of course, they are in their 40s and they have not left home because you have failed to launch them. We have a great program tonight because the wedding lady is here to answer all of your questions about weddings and what's trending in weddings. Did you know that purple is the number one color for weddings? I'd be very stressed about that if I had purple bridesmaids myself, but uh, fortunately we have Dr. John Weisler. He is a personal friend and cardiologist on the North Shore, and he's going to talk about stress and the relationship to the heart. And somebody said, why are you having a cardiologist on? You know, what what does that have to do with the heart? And I said, you know, stress and relationships and pumping. Anyway, so here we go. We also are going to be talking about the new legislation that uh, the Parliament uh, of Canada, the federal law, is going to change around sex worker safety. So I'm going to weigh in on that a little bit. And I have a guest, Velvet Steele, in the studio who's going to be talking about that and encouraging uh, promotion of safe sex work in Vancouver and across the country. In Sex in the News, of course, this show is about relationships, and as well, that is vital to sexual health. You know, I'm the Irish Catholic nurse I peg myself as, and uh, so this caught my eye. On Sunday, Pope Francis celebrated a Mass with 18 of the 19 new cardinals who were elevated to this rank um, last week. And um, he is—he has been a very down-to-earth pope, and just lives very simply. He drives a Ford Focus as opposed to a limousine, like some of the previous popes. And in his sermon, when he welcomed the men—and uh, yes, I do note the men—and we do have some uh, progress to make there—but uh, into this elite group. He suggested that they all avoid and help others to avoid habits and ways of acting typical in a, in a court. So intrigue, gossip, cliques, favoritism, and preferences, those are all things he said during the solemn ceremony at St. Peter's Basilicus. And I thought, this is uh, what, how we all need to be living. We need to be devoid of intrigue, gossip, talking about people, leaving people out, uh, exclusion, favoring people in the workplace or in the home or, or our children. So this is something that we can all live by. And I just thought that was great advice. Something else I'm going to try is um, because this show is about sexual health, relationships, how it, how it uh, matters to your general health. Uh, but relationships are really important and presenting your best self in a relationship is very important as well. So I'm going to try to give you a few rules over the next few weeks. One one rule a week. Um, and one thing that the first rule that 
um, I'm going to talk about is really around empathy and and the division of thought of a person's mind and how much is self-directed, how much is dedicated to their relationships, and how much is about empathy. And I was reminded about empathy as I was driving here tonight, and a, a car from Ontario broke down. And so I did pull up next to him, and, and I asked him if he needed help, and, and he said that, yes, they did. So I pulled in front of him, but thousands of cars drove past us. Nobody offered to help. We, I wasn't able to help him because I didn't have jumper cables. But nonetheless, people were tooting, and, and I thought, welcome to Vancouver. You know, we really don't think about other people, and that's important because everybody... A lot of people have troubles because they're embarrassed or they they don't get affirmation from somebody else. So never blame malice for what can be easily explained by conceit. That's my first rule. I hate to say this, but nobody knows you're living. (laughs) I was taught this growing up, and although it sounded, uh, you know, tough at the time, uh, it was it was the truth. Really, nobody's thinking if you're changing your seat on the bus. And, you know, people really don't care about you. They're not thinking about you. I often say to patients, you know, when you leave that doctor's office, he is not thinking about you or she is not thinking about you. They're on to the next one. So it's okay to get a second opinion, for example. So some people are worried they don't want to hurt their doctor's feelings. But you really have to be an advocate for yourself. But basically, so getting back to the rule, never blame malice for what can be explained by conceit because the mind is made up about 30% is to relationships, only 10% is empathy, unless you're a a significantly empathetic person, uh, which that can be a weakness as well. But mostly, most of the thought is self-directed. People are not mean or hurtful intentionally, but really they are focused on themselves. So that can be really helpful. And you need to focus on yourself as well to become the best person you can be. So it's it's detrimental when you're thinking, what is Julie thinking of me? Or how will my boss evaluate my performance in the next review? Or, or what, are, what are people going to think? I had a, a personal instance recently where um, my sister was worried about my parents and because their phone got disconnected and she's in New York and I'm in Boston. We were all, I mean, I'm in Vancouver, they're in Boston. We're having a conference call and she was worried about them. And then she, I said, well, let's call the police. We'll send the police up there. And then she was worried about calling the police. And it was like, they pay taxes. Who cares? Anyway, called the police within five minutes. They had sent two cars to my parents' house. My father had called me back. The worry was over, but that kind of stress can uh, ir- you know, can change people's lives. Um, so never be embarrassed. Embarrassment doesn't make a lot of sense in this kind of a thing. Those police officers who I spoke to, they're not thinking about me again. They did their job, and it was I was very grateful for what they did. People don't mean to be mean or hurtful, and relationships are your job to maintain. So don't be invited. Uh, you know, don't wait to be invited to a party or for people to approach you. It's your responsibility. Anyway, so as I as I blather on uh, once again, but uh, something else that was in the news that struck me, and of course was very, very, uh, really hit me today, was the woman who um, was an Australian TV star, Charlotte Dawson. She was found dead because she was had stood up for bullying. Now you know how I feel about bullying because I have been bullied. I was bullied in high school. I was bullied when I returned to the workplace, and I was bullied a couple of years ago um, here in Vancouver at a, a small, non-significant company who's actually never done anything. <laughs> anyway, but uh, nonetheless, I got a lot of strength back, and I, I learned a lot through it, and I learned about my own vulnerabilities. And, and when I see this woman, and she actually was in her 40s, and she committed suicide. 
or allegedly has committed suicide. That That is what the reports are. But this is about vulnerability. A vulnerability may be, some, may be that somebody has been unemployed for years, and so then that's the one who's get, who gets chosen to, be, to get the job because they're vulnerable, and that boss knows, especially if a boss re- repeatedly targets people, as in, was the case with me. Um, you know, he would choose people who had a vulnerability. And you think, why didn't you choose the one who actually had the great experience and who, ac- who could actually take this company forward? But no, he would choose somebody who did not have that experience. He would choose somebody that he could target and that he could abuse because he saw their vulnerability. It may be that you're working in a city far from your family, and so you need a job in your own city, and that bully can see that. It may be that you have excessive debt or that a person has a broken heart or never felt loved or accepted. A history of abuse or addiction is a vulnerability. And this story is about vulnerability. Bullies want this information. I always say don't give information to bullies. Don't tell them. People are always trying to help them and they think they can help the bullies. I've heard it repeatedly. They can't. You can't. This is one of the biggest secrets of bullying is sharing your own vulnerability with somebody because they will walk all over you. If they see that you don't have confidence, you lack a certain courage or strength, they, believe me, they are going to exploit that. And that is one of the key aspects of it. Her vulnerability, this woman, uh, Charlotte Dawson, was... Uh, revealed in cyberspace. She had a history of depression and also some sadness and troubles over the love of her life who had some drug addiction problems. In her in her authenticity, which is the saddest part of this, she revealed her vulnerability likely to help others. And this is how her Twitter bullies, and that's who they were, who bullied her, were people on Twitter gained the power over her. And she was targeted and she died. And that is why bullying is such a serious issue, because like cancer and heart disease, it ends lives. I know I have been vulnerable, targeted, bullied, and had to stand up by myself, for myself, when no one else did. I survived. I will never be bullied again. And actually, it happened at work. One of the jobs that I do, and I do a lot of consulting, it happened a couple of weeks ago, and I dealt with it quickly and swiftly, and I set limits. And that is what you need to do. You need to help yourself. You need to never give too much information. And to the young woman in Australia who died, I say rest in peace. You wonderful warrior for women the world over. Namaste, my friend. When we come back, we're going to be on a higher note because the wedding lady is going to join me. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the CK. Wedding day, wedding day. I was on your side, Bill, when you were losing. I never scream or lie, Bill. There's been no fooling. The kisses that love won't carry me till you marry me, Bill. I love you so I always will. <laughs> And if your devotion is, I hear a passion. Carousel, carousel. Okay, we can end that now. <laughs> I think they've had it with my singing. Um, so we're going to be talking about weddings. And, uh, you know, makes me think of um, maybe Bill was your first love. <laughs> maybe your love didn't want to commit like Bill in the song. Anyway, that's a great song by The Fifth Dimension, and weddings are a great subject. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show singing occasion tonight, and uh, 
We're talking about weddings. You can give us a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell because the wedding lady is joining me tonight. Susan Hyatt is on the line. Hello, Susan. Hello, Maureen. I loved your singing. <laughs> Certainly put me in the wedding mood tonight. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, you are the wedding lady. You plan weddings here in Vancouver and also in destination weddings, which are becoming more and more popular. Yes. In uh, in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's wonderful. So tell me, uh, it's the weddings are outrageously expensive today, average $30,000. Yes, definitely. And um, so how do people, like, where does one begin to plan a wedding? Well, first of all, you have to decide where you want to get married. So if, we're, if you want Vancouver, you have to think of a budget. I always encourage couples to make a budget and try, I try and help them stick within that budget as closely as possible. I also um, love couples to, to think outside the box and create something that really means something to them. And sticking with the budget, the most expensive thing I always tell my couples, whether they're getting married in Maui or here, is feeding the people, the guests. So to to have a small and affordable wedding, watching your budget, you have to invite less people or do more simple things on your own, like create a website is really popular nowadays with social media. Everyone can go on that and find out all the details. You can do your own invitations. Don't put the seal on the back. Don't put the colored little triangle in the um, envelope because people throw that away. (laughs) A lot of people are not even doing invitations. They're doing it all online, and people just click on. I try to encourage my brides to do an invitation. It's just exciting to receive, and it gives a little um, hint of what your colors are going to be and what type of wedding it's going to be. But budget is everything. It's And there is just so much to plan. Like today, a wedding takes about, correct me if I'm wrong, 15 or 16 months in the planning? Yes, definitely. But I get brides phoning me up saying, we want to get married in a month. What can you do? So that's a challenge. But, you know, speaking of budget weddings also, what I've noticed, I have a wedding coming up this summer here in Vancouver, and it's in the parents' beautiful back garden. So there, there's another way to cut costs for a budget smaller. I think they're having 70 or 80 people. And, you know, so that's another venue, you know, or churches. People say, you know, they can use, and some of the church halls are very affordable. And I've seen church halls look fabulous with, with wonderful, wonderful themes that you can't even believe you're standing in this room. And there's so much stress with planning a wedding. Do you ever see um, people actually cancel the wedding mid-planning? Yes, Yes. I've had a few um, I won't mention, but I've had two or three over the years that they phone me and say, Susan, we can't take it anymore. We've heard of you. Um, My mother wants this. His mother wants this. We want to go to Maui. Um, (laughs) Please, just do it, just the two of us. And they come back, and no one speaks to them for two or three weeks. And then they have the big reception, just what Mama and Mama wants. Right. And they've done their romantic thing on their own. Remember, it's always about the marriage, the marriage between two people. Weddings are beautiful, but at the end of the day, it's about the marriage, isn't it? That's right. And and the wedding is over quite rapidly, lots of planning, but that that day comes and goes. And then it's sleeping next to that person for the next 50, 60, 70 years, however long we're living these days. And I tell all my brides, even my own family member brides, 
don't drink too much on your wedding night. You want to be able to, at your wedding, you want to be able to remember it. I tell the grooms as well, because some of them get a little tiddly. They don't remember this. They don't remember (laughs) that. You know, so it's very important to have a sip here and there, but not overindulge. That's right. And that leads me to another, which I'll, I'll take care of this, um, Susan, is the, uh, the wedding night. <laughs> oh, listen, listen, in this modern day and age, Maureen, I'm very interested to hear. Brides <laughs> seem to be telling their wedding lady more and more. But um, some of them say, oh, I'm not sleeping with him for two weeks before the wedding. The other day, one of my brides said, oh, no, it's been a month. And some of them told me the other day that, um, you know, wedding lady, what you said about not drinking was so right. We both collapsed in the bed, woke up the next morning, and that was when we started our wedding night. Right. (laughs) Yes. And I imagine, and I know people are quite exhausted, and about Mm -hmm. 67% of people actually do not have sex on the wedding night, Mm -hmm. which is... doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me either, because a lot of people are living together today, and, you know, sex before marriage, of course, is very common, Mm -hmm. Um, and and so that... The, the, that night may not hold that special That's right. um, intrigue as it has of perhaps years past, That's but maybe true. a lot of the premarital sex was hidden in the years. Like recently, what was it, The Bachelor, um, the latest wedding, both of them waited until after the wedding. Very unusual. Very, Sean very unusual. and I forget her name, recently on The Bachelor. And then there they go and publicize it, but we'll probably see in People magazine that they were lying about that. That's true, too. But you know another thing, Maureen, that I tell, tell my couples? No matter how small or how large your wedding is, take a moment during that wedding and the two of you just disappear. Just for five or ten minutes, go outside, look back in the reception and see everyone having a time. But just have that little moment to think, look, we did it. It's you and me. Isn't this great? You know, I think that's very important. Right. That's lovely. Did you happen to see that video where there was a, it was actually a lovely video, but it was uh, about a $100,000 wedding in New York and the videographer filmed the the wedding and then she was suing the bride who owned a bridal shop was actually suing the videographer because he'd left out particular parts of the traditional Hebrew wedding. Oh my goodness. And different aspects. So but there was she got a lot of flack about that because people were saying it's a beautiful video. I have to say I watched it and I thought this is really nice. <laughs> Am I missing something? Am I blonde here or what? Because I don't actually see it. And I thought, well, what? what's what the problem? Somebody else is going to have to tell me the problem. And nobody, there was, there, nobody could see the problem. They no, actually no. thought she was a bit of a bridezilla and spoiled. And, oh, dear, but I'm sure, you, I'm sure you come across some bridezillas mm-hmm. as well. And that can't be easy either. No, I- once in Maui we had this wedding. I think there were 35 people. It was a, a U.S. couple. And um, she phoned um, us in the morning and said, I had a dream about pink roses. I don't want, I don't want pink roses. Um, this was after the bouquets are all made and everything in Maui. And she said, I don't want these, these, this bouquet anymore. And so we said, what would you like? And she said, yellow roses. So we got the yellow roses. And then after the ceremony, she says, I really wish I had the pink roses. Oh. We said, here you are. <laughs> you know, it's very hard. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you uh, do a planning approach and a step-by-step approach and support the brides along the way. And yes, I've heard and great like it things. To be about them. It's their wedding, not my wedding. That's I'm right. I'm here to guide, counsel. And I love finding the just right photographers for a certain couple or the just right florist who works really well with budget 
conscious couples. Right. And, and I also love the over-the-top weddings. Of which, course. You know. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to have you back for some of the over-the-top weddings. Mm-hmm. But your website, Susan, is? www.weddinglady.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sure there's lots of people planning their weddings today. And yes, lots thank of... you. All right. Take care, Susan. Bye-bye, we'll... Maureen. I loved your singing. <laughs> You and my parents, that's all. Thanks so much. When we return, we're going to talk about stress and the impact that a wedding plan may have on your heart. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Through the pain of my singing again, (laughs) but just to educate you, (laughs) you are welcome, Mr. Chad Bruhog, technical producer here extraordinaire at the helm tonight. Thank you so much. Um, But this is all about education, this sex show, and Staying Alive is the song that you should be playing in your head when you are giving cardiac compressions during when somebody has had a heart attack. You can give us a call about any of the subjects we're talking about tonight. Sex, sexual health, erectile dysfunction, pumping. Um, The number to call is 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You can call about your heart because I have a cardiologist here. You can always follow me on Twitter at Back the Number Two The Bedroom. My website is www.backtothebedroom.ca. Email me at sextalk at cknw.com. But do give us a call. We love to hear from you. With all that planning and desire to get the wedding day perfect in every way, chances are the stress levels are going to be up. Also, I had a patient in my office this week who had had seen me for a few sessions weekly over the past month or so, and um, he finally got to the real issue, which was that he had had an affair on his wife about five years prior. He was very stressed about this, felt tremendous guilt, felt damaged, felt like a bad person. He is still with his wife, and they've managed to work it out quite well. They went to counseling and processed all of it, uh, and he uh, processed a lot himself. I mean, really, he's a, he was a, such a moral and ethical man, um, and he was really, really bothered by this, and that could put a lot of stress on his heart. So there's lots of issues around sexuality, relationships, sexual health that can affect your heart in a negative way. So back by popular demand, the six foot seven Dr. John Weisler, cardiologist extraordinaire, returns to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome, Dr. Weisler. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks for having me. So those are a couple of situations, but there are so many situations where stress uh, will impact negatively on the heart. Oh, sure. I mean, there's there's tons. It's interesting you mentioned um, your patient with the affair. There, There is, you know, sex is a very safe activity in general, but there is the rare chance that, uh, you know, you can have a heart attack during sex. If you're having sex with your partner, extremely unlikely. If you're having sex in an affair, it's about five or six times more likely. Something about the adrenaline and anxiety and everything that... Uh, that uh, that can trigger a heart attack. Wow, that is so interesting. I'm gonna. I always say, oh, it's okay, whatever. No, no. <laughs> a little surprise. Um, still, still. Hopefully, you're healthy. Still, it's you know pretty unlikely, but that's just a little factoid. Stress has, um, you know, a number of different ways it can hurt our heart. Uh, both a sudden stress and the damage it does. You know, right at right, you get a shock and then you start getting chest pains. It can cause a heart attack. Um, your heart uh, is a muscular pump that has fragile little arteries that give it blood. And if you get a sudden stress, it can sometimes be enough to disrupt the lining of one of those arteries and trigger a heart attack. It can also damage your heart muscle, a condition called stress-induced cardiomyopathy. And so that's uh, that's sort of 
sudden or, or a surprise stress and then chronic stress, you know, you're feeling bad about your affair that you had in the past or worried about finances, worried about weddings, whatever it may be, um, leads you to have a lot of unhealthy, you know, uh, behaviors that can raise your risk for a heart attack. Uh, high blood pressure, too much cholesterol, you're not eating well, you're not sleeping enough, you're not exercising enough. All those different lifestyle habits then can elevate your risk for a heart attack as well. And you're worrying about worrying, and that can place, an, I mean, I Circle. see a lot of patients who have, um, you know, they, they worry about everything, and they do emotional eating, one of the negative um, behaviors that pe- that is definitely associated with. It's a very common problem, and as a cardiologist in my practice, I often see people who already have heart disease, and one of the big keys for them is to try and break out of that bad pattern where they, uh, you know, they're not looking after themselves, they're eating unhealthy, they're eating emotionally, as you say, and they can't do it because they've fallen into this pattern, they've got all these other stresses, and really, in order to improve their heart health, their physical health, they have to be able to break out of them and change what they're doing in their lifestyle. Right. Um, I have Jerry from Cathedral on the line. Hello, Jerry. I know. Um, I've got a problem with I'm um, my catheter, and I don't know um, what. Uh, oh, with your catheter, okay. Uh, maybe your catheter is plugged. I'm imagining it's a catheter that's going into your bladder. Um, we're having a little difficulty hearing you, Jerry. Actually, um, sorry about that. I think we've I think we've actually lost you, Jerry, on the line. But um, we'll try and get back to you later. So we're talking about hearts and sex. And the impact of stress on your heart. Um, I had another patient who was concerned about, uh, after having had a marriage breakup, um, was concerned with the next relationship. That he had had some erectile dysfunction. He was in his early 50s. He'd had some erectile dysfunction in his marriage. And he was nervous that that was going to appear, reappear in the next relationship, which he was just beginning to enter. Sure. I mean, uh, erectile dysfunction is a, it's actually, uh, I don't know what people want to say, but it's it's actually a fairly complicated, uh, you know, we want to think of it as the penis is a fairly simple organ and how it works, but it's actually very complicated in terms of both requiring, you know, good blood vessels, um, good heart health and overall health to work properly. And then there's a psychological component as well. And if you look at all cases of erectile dysfunction, if you sort of add them up or do a survey, um, you know, it's, it's about 50-50 where the major cause is. So about 50% of the time it's going to be primarily psychological, 50% uh, physical, and of course there's overlap. So f- for that particular patient, you know, maybe it was uh, stress or anxiety, relationship issues contributing to the erectile dysfunction in his previous relationship. But that would certainly, I mean, and, I, and, and certainly it would be something where you'd want to review with, with that patient uh, what the rest of his health was like, what his cholesterol was, what his uh, blood pressure was, if he had uh, diabetes, if he was smoking smoking, you know, good vascular health, does he exercise? And and one sort of little saying is that, you know, the penis is like the barometer to the heart in, in a sense where if you have erectile dysfunction, it can be a sign of, you know, problems with your heart or a predisposition to heart attack or stroke. And that's great, helpful information for people to realize that. So that can often be in the number one symptom. I say it's the canary in the coal mine. Exactly. And you, uh, if you are having erectile dysfunction, a lot of people are embarrassed about that. A lot of people will get stressed about it. That doesn't help. They're too embarrassed to go and speak to their healthcare provider, their physician, their therapist, uh, to mention it. So, but it's so much better to actually address 
Yeah, it's it's worth bringing up for sure, and and it's got to be embarrassing. You've never discussed something like that with a doctor before, but you know, doctors, nurses, healthcare providers are able to discuss it. We are, you know, we we are not. We might be a little bit surprised, but not that surprised. I mean, we're trained to deal with it and and to to think of it. And and with respect to erectile dysfunction in particular, most family doctors and you know primary care nurse practitioners will have a list in their head that they start thinking of as soon as you mention that, you know, that, that they want to uh, they want to help you and, and do the right thing. So it is very important uh, to, to bring that up. And everybody has sex, and it's becoming a hot topic, of course. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm speaking at the BC Care Providers Association at the Terminal City Club on April 8th, and the subject is, please knock before you enter sexuality and intimacy in care homes. And, you know, we have a hard time thinking of our parents having sex, but our grandparents are having sex. Everybody's having True. sex. Or everybody's, or a lot of people are not having sex. People think everybody is having sex except for me. But that also is, is, can be a bit of a, a myth uh, because so many troubles occur uh, with people's health and with people's relationships that the sex can be uh, less so, a big change in the activity or the amount of sex or the satisfaction one is having. But the healthier you are, the better your sex is going to be. Sure. And, and we know that, you know, interest in sex and sexual behaviors vary, you know, substantially. And it, and it is true. People at all age will have sex. And, uh, you know, I will have patients in their 70s and 80s on, you know, six or eight or 10 different medications with heart problems and other things. They'll ask me, is it safe to have sex? And, you know, uh, looking at people and assessing them uh, as a cardiologist, my focus on the heart, obviously, but how safe are they for sex? That's that's routine for me. But it is, um, it's a very common question at any age range, for sure. Absolutely. And people always want to know if they are normal. That's right. Um, but and nobody is normal. Here's the answer. <laughs> there's no really. There's no real normal. But if somebody came to you, uh, a man came to you with erectile dysfunction, what what would be the the workup that you would do for a man? Maybe a little bit overweight. He may drink a few. You know, he may be a daily drinker, one or two glasses of wine a day. So which means two to four to us. Oh. <laughs> um, yes. And uh, a little bit overweight. Doesn't really exercise that much. Stressful. Flying all over the world. Um, you know, on business has, you know, on the edge of a fabulous contract that might be coming up. And so, you know, he's excited and it's going well, but, but maybe his wife isn't supportive of him at home because perhaps his, you know, she has different values or, so how would you deal with a patient like that? Well, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty common scenario. And, you know, the, the first thing is I explain to patients that it has both um, psychological and physical dimensions. And the psychological aspect, I would ask them about their, you know, relationship and how that was going and what the stress was like. And uh, as a cardiologist, maybe I'm not the best person to help them find answers, but I could certainly suggest some resources for them uh, and, and try to help them along. And then with the physical dimension, um, I would go through the lifestyle and, you know, why don't you exercise? Could you make more time? Is, is, is there a way you can squeeze it in? And what sort of pressures do you face? And then the physical workup, you know, a general physical exam, uh, looking at the blood pressure, send them for lab work for cholesterol and for blood sugar, look for diabetes, uh, uh, look for any other, you know, uh, health conditions. Maybe they're using medications from another problem that could impact sexual function. And those would probably be most of the bases I would think of to start with. Okay. And um, what would be the blood pressure you would like to see in a man in his 50s, say? Uh. So, I mean, uh, we, we doctors, we, we like it low. I mean, you do best when your blood pressure is around 120 over 80. The, the guidelines for drug therapy that I've mentioned before and, you know, that we still follow – 
so you treat patients to get them, you know, 140 over 90 or less. And it's a more of a, it's a higher target, so we don't have to give, you know, too many patients medications. But it's important to realize you do better if you're one between 120 and 130. You get there through a combination of medications if you need them and lifestyle, exercising, minimizing your salt intake, sleeping well, you know, maybe if you are having the three or four drinks a night, you cut back to one. One is usually okay, and above two, you're more likely to get into problems. So. Right, and, and many problems, and not just problems with your heart, but problems exactly. with depression. Alcohol is a big depressant, and people don't realize the, the impact that alcohol will have on your mood, your sleep, your health, and it hangs over, no pun intended. <laughs> That's um, very true. But it can certainly hang over over time. And people need to know their blood pressure. That's the other thing. I, I ask everybody, what's your blood pressure? And they say, well, it's good. You know, what is it? And they're like, is it? yeah. it's like 60. I'm like, well, that it's only one of the numbers, you know. <laughs> it's very common. And the American Heart Association uh, has an excellent um, little campaign where they say, know your numbers. And it's blood pressure and cholesterol, basically, are the are the big two. And, and your weight is the other one. The other thing... And know, I add how many times you're having sex each week. Well, that's obviously important. <laughs> I mean, that's key. I thought that went without saying, but no, that's If you know true. your numbers, you'll be having yeah. sex that week. Hopefully no, no. I'm you just... can recall that. That's right. Yes. Anyway, yeah. well, once again, time is up, but it's fantastic. The uh, everyone can follow you on Twitter as well. You're this one of those progressive doctors, so your Twitter handle is? It's a lot of fun. It's uh, John RV Cardio is, is the name. So J-O-H-N-R-V and then Cardio. Excellent. Thank you so much for Thank more you. great information every time you come. And I'm glad you came during Heart Month, just to remind people. Thanks so much. When I return, we're going to talk about sex worker rights. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Great to have you here tonight. I'm Maureen McGrath. Uh, you're probably, if you've been listening to the show, you're probably all massaging your hearts out there tonight after the information from cardiologist Dr. John Weisler. I just wanted to point out that erectile dysfunction also occurs in younger men. So men in their 20s and 30s and 40s certainly can experience erectile dysfunction. And the same workup needs to be done. It can be a psychological issue, but some physical issue, uh, some physical tests need to be done as well. So it's important to have it investigated, and that is the key information there. Now, we're talking about the sex, changing the sex worker, changing the sex laws around, (laughs) changing the laws around sex workers in this country. Uh, I, after I had my experience with having been bullied and sexually harassed and realized what had happened to me, I became very sick. I lost my hair. I lost weight. I had heart palpitations. I, I'm a very fortunate person. I have resources. I have a very supportive family. I was raised by great parents and who uh, knew that that kind of thing was wrong. I was encouraged to file a complaint with the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and, and I did. But when I became well, I made a promise, probably the Catholic in me, because we're always bargaining with God when something um, bad happens in our lives. If you do this for me, if you help me get better, then I promise I'm going to do that. And one of the promises I made was to help marginalized people, marginalized women, who experienced bullying and experienced sexual harassment and experienced abuse and experienced emotional abuse and physical abuse and do whatever I could. And part of it is educating the public through through the airwaves and through presentations that I do and through my Twitter and also if anyone ever has a question. And interestingly enough, some women uh, from the same company that I had been bullied at and sexually harassed at actually have come to uh, my practice and have needed advice and needed support around what to do. So, um, And one thing I did was um, 
focus a bit on the sex workers of Vancouver, and I raised some money, thanks to you, to send some of those sex workers to the Supreme Court of Canada in June when the Supreme Court looked at the laws that made sex work unsafe for women in our city and across this country. So the laws around sex work have been struck down by the Supreme Court, but they did say in their mandate that Parliament must now enact a new framework and Government of Canada is doing a consultation on this issue. And Velvet Steel joins me in the studio to discuss this issue. Velvet Steel is a sex worker activist. Thanks for joining me, Velvet. Hi, Maureen. Thank you. So this is our chance to form a new, uniquely Canadian regulatory framework that re- which will have respect and uphold the mm-hmm. rights of sex workers. Absolutely. And what the government has done now, I mean, there's a whole bunch of groups across the country that are mobilizing together to bring awareness to people out there so they have a better understanding as to what it's all about. Because sex work in this country, and as for most people around the world, it's a very emotional subject. It's a very touchy thing because the relation between work and sex and sex and work or sex work, um, a lot of people don't really understand it. And it's it's a movement that is very parallel to what the black rights movement was, the gay rights movement was. Um, all the other the, the abortion movement as well and we also have Bill C-279 which is also going before Parliament right now in regards to trans rights so they're all you know based around choice and you know personal freedoms and things like that human rights is what it is and this is just one of the last bastions that we're trying to cover and sort of deal with as well. So um, before the government comes down with what it is they're going to be proposing, which we don't know what it is. Um, they've but they're asking for public consultation are, on it. Yes. One thing, people don't even realize that sex work is legal in Canada. Prostitution is legal yes, in is. Canada. And and when you tell people that, they they are surprised, number one. But it was the laws that surrounded the prostitution, like you couldn't have a brothel work collectively, mm. solicit sex, uh, exchange sex for... Living off the avails, any of that but, stuff. So basically everything surrounding prostitution was illegal. So basically it made it impossible to actually perform the act of prostitution, to make your money, to, to do what you need work. to do to work, right? So um, a lot of people don't view it as work either. They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't. I mean, we have, as we call them, the antis, you know, seeing it as rape and this and that and the associations with human trafficking. And, you know, we're all against human trafficking, but we need to really have our figures properly, you know, before us and our statistics and everything else, because a lot of them are inaccurate and they're made up stories. They're made up lies. They're made up statistics. Um, certainly women are there are certainly women who are vulnerable and marginalized and taken advantage absolutely. of and, and there one situation that occurred to me which reminded me which is why I decided to go with the sex workers is I was um, locked in an office and the door handle the my bully removed the door handle so I could not escape and that is a common occurrence mm-hmm. for sex workers they couldn't look inside the truck because the um, person who was looking to purchase sex from them would take the handle off of the truck inside to make it, and that would make it unsafe so those women couldn't escape. A very similar thing happened to me in a corporate office here in Vancouver. Forcible confinement, and there you are. You're you're, you're locked in, and what are you going to say? You're not going to say anything for fear of... Whatever. I mean, you know, in the prostitution... You can't escape. You can't escape. You can't get out. And I mean, in prostitutes, what are you going to say? Are you going to go to the authorities? Chances are you're not, you know, for many different reasons. Why? Um, And, you know, we want to dispel a lot of the stigma. We want to break down a lot of these different, you know, assumptions that people have in regards to prostitution. And, you know, in your case, the bullying, that's 
another form of well, it's abuse. harassment. It's abuse. Mm-hmm, Plain mm-hmm. and simple, it's abuse. Um, no matter how you look at it. And that's one of the things that I have been saying and we've all been talking about too is is the issue of violence. You know, everybody's still saying that, oh, well, you put yourself in a very precarious situation or a job that really, you know, warrants that type of action. Well, that's not true. What we need to do is we need to stop people from actually making it okay to say that as a statement that because by putting yourself in that situation that you are opening yourself up to that type of violence. I mean, we can ask this question, um, the the 19-year-old woman who a few years back here in Vancouver who worked at the Money Mart on the corner of Canby and Hastings there, brutally murdered by befriending an individual who she let into the cage at the Money Mart or the individual who tried to stop the guy from stealing gas at the gas station and was dragged to his death behind the van. Exactly. I mean, you put yourself in that situation, huh? And and criminalization of sex workers does not make their lives safer necessarily. In fact, it can do more harm than good. Do the opposite. It'll definitely do the opposite. And we see that and we have statistics that prove that point. And that will drive it underground. Underground. um, It also brings in a higher and stronger criminal element to it as well. Um, So if we give people the right to choose and do what they want to do when it comes to how they're making their money and get people understanding that sex work is work. And that's the thing. They want to live in the country in which they were raised and they want to pay taxes and they want to have the benefits that other workers have and basically have it perceived as a job. Do everything, yes. Do everything that anybody else in this country is afforded as our labor laws are all about. And it really has no, um, no bearing on... People don't want it in their backyard, basically. Exactly. This is what the big fear and fear is behind. But the government survey, which is great, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Where uh, where can people go to complete the survey and weigh in on this? There are two different sites that they can go to, one in French and one in English, and that's at www.justice.gc.ca backslash English backslash C-O-N-S backslash C-U-R-R-dash... C O U R S. It's a long one. <laughs> okay, follow um, me on so Twitter. Just go follow I on add Twitter back the we'll number two, to the there. bedroom, so, um, and you'll get it. Yeah, it'll be on my website, and you can follow me on Twitter and absolutely. Facebook. And well, thanks and so much, Velvet, you're very welcome. for joining me and in I the studio I appreciate being tonight. on here. And we want to just stress as well that by going in and filling these out, make your you know, your submission's uniquely yours. Exactly. I'm com- I'm going to be speaking at the BC Care Providers Association at the Terminal City Club on April 8th. Please knock before you enter sexuality and intimacy in care homes. Also, I am speaking on May the 2nd, Friday night at the Profile, the landing building in Gastown, 375 Water Street, Kegels and Cocktails. Tickets are $35. I'm also heading to Toronto to talk about vaginal atrophy in June, and I'm pretty excited about that because that's a really important subject, and you need to have accurate information about it when you take low-dose localized estrogen. You don't need progesterone. And also remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life. Make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Until next week, have a sexually healthy week.